Please listen carefully. And welcome in, everyone. Got another episode of the Heard It Here Sports Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Heard. It's simply a pleasure to be here with you today. I'm working on now part three of my uh, trade season podcast, what's turned into, I guess, a, a bit of a series. Um, on the first episode, I sort of established the market and went uh, went over mostly, actually, the teams I didn't think would be making moves. Um, and then those, those seven teams I see as active listeners, uh, again, um, if you haven't listened to part one and two, you probably should listen to those first. But uh, as, as a brief re- recap, um, I saw – so uh, actually, as a brief recap to how I did this, I took all 30 teams and just one by one sort of imagined um, what, what, their, what their situation is this year, what possible avenues they have to make trades, what incentive they have to make trades to stay put, what point they're at in the season, how likely their playoff chances are. Uh, and ended up just trying to give them a, a raw score, an arbitrary score of 0 to 7 uh, of how likely they are to make a trade. 7 being uh, you know, virtually a lock to make a trade. Uh, the, the 76ers were my only 7, for reference. Uh, I had both the Hornets and the Warriors as zeros. I do not see them making, at the very least, a significant trade this year. Um I had a group of threes, though. There were seven teams I marked with a three that I ended up uh, calling the active listeners. So what I mean by that is that these are teams... So any team I had marked with a zero, one, or two, uh, I considered them unlikely trade partners. I I think these are teams that are not particularly interested in going out and making a significant move and overhauling their roster... Um, I just do not believe that their management, that their you know ownership, um, that the players on the team think that's what the team needs. Um, I, I think, and again, I, I can uh, go back over a few of those teams. So um, a, a couple of them, Milwaukee, uh, Brooklyn, Orlando, Memphis, Chicago, these are teams that certainly could make a trade. It's not like it's a bunch of... Um, perfect teams by any means. I just, I, I do not see them. I don't see any players that need to be traded, quote unquote, need to be traded. Anyone that's just an obvious trade candidate. Um, these active listeners, this was a step up from that previous tier. I see these teams. Um, the reason I, I include that phrase listener, I, I don't think these are teams that are going to be very aggressive uh, making offers on the market. I do not believe they're going to be reaching out to a bunch of teams. I don't think they're selling. Um, I, I think that would be the way to put it. I, I think they are simply listening. I think if an offer is made, they will review the offer and respond or possibly not respond. Um, I, I think they are. I think they have interest in being a part of the trade market. Uh, whether or not they will decide to engage is another question. Whether or not they're actually making offers is another question. But I do believe they will 
be looking, um, they're going to be aware of who's on the market. That's what I believe. Uh, those seven teams were Boston, Detroit, Cleveland, New York, Atlanta, Phoenix, and Minnesota. Then I had one team that I put as a four, which I thought was very odd. And I talked about that last podcast, but that was Miami. Uh, and I think they are just sort of in a middle spot where these teams above, I see it as, um, I guess I, I would be pretty surprised if they do not make a significant trade. And if they do not make a significant trade, it's because something fell through or something went wrong. Um, I believe the intent for these teams is probably to make a move. Or, or, or actually, uh, maybe not intent, but I believe there is a reasonable or possibly beneficial deal uh, that could be made for most of these teams. And, and more importantly, actually, I believe they're going to be active on the market. Um, that That's actually much more important than whether they actually make the trade or not. I, I You know what? Um, now that I sort of said it out loud, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's much less actually whether or not the team will actually make a trade. That's difficult to predict. There's a lot of factors that go into that, you know, that an owner can simply veto a trade that seems, uh, simply, um, seems like a foregone conclusion. Um, you know, stuff happens, stuff happens, um, so I think the better way to look at it is these are teams that are going out making trade calls. They are, um, <laughs> I don't know if they're on the trade machine on ESPN, but they are uh, putting together theoretical deals, seeing where they can get value. Um, and so I had 10 teams I thought were going to be actively on the market, um, actively engaging other teams. Those were, in no particular order, the 76ers, the Lakers, the Trailblazers, the Clippers, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, the Thunder, the Rockets, the Jazz, and the Raptors. Um, and so what I did last podcast, I sort of um, went over those teams and I, I, I ended up only getting through Philadelphia. Um, I ended up deciding to break down those 10 teams individually i got through philadelphia on this podcast i'm gonna try to hit and we'll see um how long it takes on each team i'll probably try to hit the other nine um which i guess we can go ahead and start now uh, with the los angeles lakers um uh the los angeles lakers they are probably there's a ton of overlap with the 76ers in terms of uh, their plans for this trade deadline they have very little salary that is not bolted down, similar to Philadelphia. Uh, if you look at LeBron's uh, <laughs> uh, Freudian slip there, if you look at the Los Angeles Lakers cap sheet, LeBron's making $37 million, Anthony Davis $27, and then Danny Green $14, KCP $8 million. They don't... Um, wow. Their salary cap is their their sheets are a little weird. They they have a lot more, um, you know. I guess I never really need, realized this. I'm sort of just sort of uh, talking this out on the podcast, but they have more expensive role, like sort of 
the guys that you usually would be minimum guys are not minimum guys. Rondo is not a minimum guy. Caruso is not in the minimum. Quinn Cook's not a minimum guy. Um, JaVale McGee's not a minimum guy. Avery Bradley, 4.7. Um, and some of these guys can't be traded because of their bird rights, but it's just very interesting how their, how their sheets were built. Um, it's sort of actually obvious. It makes sense because they were shooting for a star who would have taken up, you know, 25 to 30 million in space. I can't think of how much Kawhi uh, makes this year. Instead, they ended up signing Danny Green, which I mean, they're not just going to give Danny Green the $30 billion. They gave him $14.6 million. It's a good contract for him. Um, but it meant that they had a lot of money to give to fringe guys. Uh, that's that's what ended up happening. It, it's, in, it, it's just interesting to look at. Um, let me... Yeah, okay. okay. So um, the Lakers, the, there were several players they signed or re-signed this year. Uh, that if they were traded, they would uh, be sacrificing bird rights. Thus, they have an implicit no-trade clause uh, for the year. Uh, those players include Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, JaVale McGee, Alex Caruso, and Rajon Rondo. So those four players cannot be traded uh, the entirety of the season. Uh, too bad, especially on the, uh, uh, on the um, KCP front. I think he's a... I think he's actually a really good player for the Lakers. I think they would probably miss him to an extent. Um, I, I, I think they would miss him pretty significantly. But at the same time, it's just it would be nice to have that salary to try to work with. Um, as far as the pieces the Lakers don't have bolted down, uh, I, I mean, they can theoretically trade Danny Green. He's making $14.6 million. It's pretty good value. But um, if you packaged him with some salary, there's certainly... Uh, better guys you could get just a matter of why would someone give you a better player a player that um so it's one thing to get better value but it, it seems very unlikely you'd be able to trade a guy like danny green who is uh in his 30s for a player that is better right now it just doesn't make sense because uh, sorry because the lakers aren't going to be able to throw in an asset to make it worthwhile uh, so you're not just going to do it straight up just, just to like get off of more salary or something. Uh, no, um, what? Uh, uh, let me get back to that in a second. So I think the clearest thing that you would want to put together uh, in terms of a uh, coupling of uh, assets into a trade pass package. So the Lakers do have Demarcus Cousins on the roster still. He's making three point five million dollars this year. He's not going to play for the entire year. Um, I've seen a couple of comments about how he's. You know, been been a pretty big presence for their team. He's been on the sideline for games, cheering, supporting. I, I I do think there's a lot of value to that, and I think that's way way too often underrated in these discussions. But this is a title contending team. You don't pay three point five million dollars and a roster spot to some guy because he's a good teammate. If if you have the option of instead packaging him and trading him for a real player, um, and they do, because the Lakers have the ability to package Demarcus Cousins and his three point five million dollars salary, with, um, I, I think, as I was saying, the the most prominent coupling, um, at least in the social media spheres, and, and the one that I think makes the most logical sense or pops out pop pops out at you, uh, would be pairing him with Kyle Kuzma. Um, Kuzma makes 
1.97 million this year. So he and DeMarcus combined, uh, if you give him that 120% boost, those two can net you a salary of 6.57 million in return. Not really going to get you anything. Um, I mean, I, I sort of ran through the list uh, last podcast with Philadelphia, but some of the guys I named, um, actually, I didn't name Mo Harkless at eleven point five million. I, I, I again, some of these names are on there because they would have been good targets. That's it's sort of just a. I, I guess I sort of put it there just to see if it would inspire me to think of anyone else that's similar to that player. Um, or just an idea that, you know, if things had gone differently, this would have been a player that would have fit really well and sort of meets the salary criteria. So Mo Harkless, 11.5 mil. I mean, there's a reason he was moved. Um, the, the reason that Miami was able to move him, although they also gave him a first rounder, shockingly, in that deal. Um, they, you know, were able to move him as opposed to moving uh, Myers Leonard or moving, you know, um, any of those other uh, uh, Kelly and Lennox, you know, if they didn't move James Johnson, I think that would have been a lot more difficult <laughs> to say the least. Um, um, what what you can do though is you can, so you can combine Kuzma and Demarcus Cousins' salary, and then throw in, for instance, Quinn Cook. I, I'm I'm like ninety percent Quinn percent sure Quinn Cook is eligible to be a uh, to be traded. Um, so he has a he's got he's paying three three million this year three million next year but his three million next year is non guaranteed uh, I don't know if it's a full non guarantee or what so I believe what the Lakers would have to do is guarantee his salary before he was traded um, that way he would not be sacrificing his bird rights um, through the through the trade um, yeah, so I think you could package Quinn Cook in there. You get up to ten point one million. That's that's gonna net you something. That is more reasonable. Um, few of the guys that are in this range, and I guess I got off on the more Harkless uh, rant, didn't I? No Harkless tangent. Um, but I guess the point I was making before is Demarcus Cousins plus Kuzma isn't really gonna get you any. Uh, any real assets. There isn't really anyone out there for 6.5 mil, but when you add someone like Quinn Cook or you can add, you know, a Troy Daniels or Jared Dudley, one of those two minimum guys, um, they'll get you up to more like 8.5, 9 mil. Uh, but adding Quinn Cook gets you to 10.1 million uh, in terms of salary you can take on. Um, one of the names I, I picked up that I, I thought may be even a little more valuable in this setting would be Jay Crowder. Um, I think the one thing I sort of thought about this actually, as I started recording this section, Jay Crowder was, um, on the, uh, LeBron Cleveland team. And then was, uh, he actually, he was part of the Isaiah Thomas trade and he got traded, um, before the trade deadline off of LeBron's team to Utah. Uh, not in necessarily the most, um, they they didn't get some massive return either, so I would be curious as to w whether Jay Crowder really wants to go play with LeBron, or and and far more importantly, whether LeBron really wants to play with Jay Crowder. Um, I don't know. I think that might be actually a an issue that you'd have to think about. Um, Wayne Ellington makes seven point eight million. 
uh, I think both of these guys, it would really suck to give up Kyle Kuzma just to take these guys on. Uh, and that's sort of my takeaway from all of these is like, really, you have to give up Kyle Kuzma, who, I mean, Kuzma's probably not a future, you know, Hall of Famer, but he's good. He's, he's seems like an impact rotation player already um, and, and could be more on a team that could uh, maximize his skill set some more, I think. Um, but that's sort of who's on the market. And maybe maybe it is worth it just to hold on to Kuz. Uh, maybe, maybe what they do instead is just try to package uh, Cousins and Quinn Cook, for example. Uh, you got 6.5 million salary. They gets you something like 8 million returning salary. You can still do Jay Crowder with that. Uh, and maybe the Grizzlies are like, yeah, sure, we'll take uh, we'll take your second round pick and Quinn Cook and, and see if Quinn Cook's got anything. Um, I don't I don't think that's impossible. I don't think that's impossible. Um, you're just not going to be able to get a – the sort of guy you're going to get with that deal is more of a lottery ticket type rotation guy. So uh, Justin Holiday for a few years I feel like has been traded back and forth to teams as that exact guy. It's like we, we can't really pay up for a guy we know is going to be in the rotation. So, like, let's take a shot on, you know, let's take a shot on him and see if he can stick. And it's like, well, no, Justin Holiday is not going to stick because if he was going to stick, he would have stuck the other five years. Uh, I say that, but he's been, you know, really good in Indiana this year. Um, so probably not the best example to use. But uh, nonetheless, um, a, a couple – I guess the one other name I might bring up again, uh, Tyus Jones. I talked about it a lot in the Philly section. I really like the idea of Tyus Jones being on on uh, Philly. Uh, he, he would certainly be useful on this team as well. I think he sort of just fills into the same role Alex Caruso already has, though. Um, and, and just in terms of being more of a uh, game manager off the bench, I don't think they are they being the Lakers are in desperate need of Tyus Jones services. Uh, though I do, th- I mean, I, th- I think he would. So he's another one of those guys. If you can get Tyus Jones without giving up Kuzma, that's awesome. That's totally worth it. If you're trading DeMarcus Cousins, Quinn Cook, and Kyle Kuzma, and you're getting back Tyus Jones, that is questionable value to be certain. Um, but sometimes... You know, when you're in the thick of a championship uh, window of championship contention, you've got 35-year-old LeBron James, you make moves that have questionable uh, returns. Because you know what? Um, when you're that high up, sometimes the value you're getting is just its going to have to be marginal. Sometimes if you refuse to make that move and you wait for the perfect move with Kuzma or you just wait for him to develop, he just doesn't pan out his value decreases even further or he, you know, just, you never get a better, you never get a better trade package. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think overall, after talking through this, this is another situation. I'm just not, I'm not thrilled with the Lakers. Um, I'm not, I'm not thrilled with the uh, Lakers outlook for this trade deadline. I don't see them pulling in anyone super impactful on their title hopes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, um, the, the one note I did want to make, if you package together 
Uh, if you package together like, all the Lakers guys, so Danny Green, uh, the big one, 14.6 million, but then also add in Avery Bradley, 4.8, DeMarcus Cousins, 3.5, Quinn Cook, 3, uh, just three flat, and Kuzma, 1.9. Obviously, trading five players doesn't happen very often, but um, that gets you up to $27.8 million, uh, which uh, if you bump up the 120% you can bring in, like they can trade for a $33.3 million contract with those guys. That gets you pretty much anybody, uh, anyone in the league. Uh, there are exactly eight players that make more than 33, uh, 33 point, what is it, whatever, $33.3 million uh, in the entire NBA. So that's, I mean, the problem is it's a terrible trade package. Not really, not really giving anything there, but I mean... So uh, the one I actually um, looked at for a second, and it just, I mean, it would never happen. But God, it would be so interesting um, if you could manage to get, like, a guy like, you know, Gordon Hayward. Um, this year, I think he's probably proven too much. But, you know, last year, uh, maybe towards the end of the season, when he had been back for a while and just looked like he might never be the same player, but beyond that, it looked like he might end up being, you know, huge negative contracts for the next two years. Um, I think if it was a situation like that where it's more of a gamble, it's like, well, more of the Kawhi situation, actually, where uh, obviously to a lesser extent, because Kawhi at his best wins you a title, Gordon Hayward at his best maybe wins you a playoff series. But the idea that let's let's buy low on this guy that might uh, it might bite us but we also might really get some benefit out of it. Um, I, I think that's probably uh, way more time than needed to be actually spent talking about that because it's in incredibly unrealistic. Um, I mean, again, that package, you're getting Kuzma and Danny Green, and, like, Danny Green's 33 and has a two-year deal. You're getting, like, Quinn Cook. Like, there's no... There's no team that that aligns with their vision. So, unfortunately, I don't think that's really going to net you anything, but I don't know. Um, it, I just thought it was worth mentioning that they do have that capacity. If, if a, I don't know, a big-time star wanted to force his way there somehow, probably wouldn't be a big-time star. That's probably what would happen. It would have to be like a... Uh, if Kevin Love wanted to come back and the the Lakers mistakenly thought it would be worth moving off of Danny Green to get Kevin Love, maybe that's what you would see. Something more along those lines. Um, all in all, though, I mean, I sort of went off on that tangent. I think the Lakers probably do try to move the $3.5 million DeMarcus Cousins contract. The real question here is, do they package Kuzma and try to get a real impact rotation guy this year? Or are they just going to do what they've done the last couple of years and go for like a Reggie Bullock type? A guy that, like, yeah, I mean, he's he's solid. He's like a maybe rotation player on most teams in the regular season. Like, maybe he can play the first round of the playoffs. Maybe if he's really just feeling it, he can play a couple of rounds in. But, I mean, it's a gamble. It's a gamble. Um, if you're not going to put, you're not going to put Kuzma in a package, you're not going to get someone better than Reggie Bullock. 
You're not gonna you're not gonna get someone better than Mike Muscala. It's just not it's not it's not realistic. Um, so I think that's that's a tough question they're gonna have to ask themselves as a front office. Are we selling low on this guy Kuzma, or are we just you know searching for the better fit? Uh, the last the last name I guess I didn't mention him. Davis Bertans on the Wizards makes about I think he makes exactly seven mil. Um, big Lakers trade is like Demarcus Cousins, Kuzma, and one of those min- minimum uh, Dudley or Daniels deals for Bertans. It's just not going to happen. It's not nearly enough value. It's not even close. You need like three Kuzmas worth of value to get Bertans from this Washington team. And I talked about why on the first podcast. If you really want to hear it again, go listen to the first part. Um, <laughs> but but I just I think the Wizards value Bertans a lot more than uh, Kuzma and uh, 3.5 in dead salary. So I'm going to go ahead and move on. Uh, actually, the one note, one last note, the Lakers and Philadelphia pretty much need the same same thing. Just like solid scores, they can like handle the ball. It's just like just they just need like good players. That's what all these teams really need, uh, and I think that's a trend you really see. Huge surprise, I know. Good teams want good players, but I, th- I think uh, I think we overthink this sometimes, and really we just need to KISS. Keep it simple, stupid, you know? All right, let's push forward, though. Let's move on from L.A., at least momentarily. Let's hop over to the Portland Trailblazers. So the Portland Trailblazers, um, I think this is this is obviously a, a pretty clear detour from Philadelphia and L.A. Those are two title contenders. Uh, Portland is not a title contender anywhere outside of the minds of Neil Olshay and Damian Lillard. Uh, I think they are, you know, better than we believed at the beginning of the season, though. Or not at the beginning of the season, uh, but, you know, after the first few games where Portland was really struggling, uh, obviously letting Eric Pichal put up 30-something points on you, not a good sign. Uh, but they are, I mean, they're still 14 and 19, but they're 8th in the West. Um, I, I think this is a Portland team that, at this point, knows they're not going to be winning anything significant this year. But they also know that they have Yusuf Nurkic still out uh, from a leg fracture last year. Rodney Hood is going to be out for the season. And Zach Collins has been out this whole year and is going to be out for another few months. So I think they know, number one, this season, okay, it, it might not be the title year we're, we're, we're sort of working towards. However, we do have a lot of ammunition coming back next year and going forwards. We still have a strong team built around us. In fact, and this is going to sound somewhat blasphemous, I think, to some of y'all, this is more similar than I think people realize to the Golden State Warriors year right now. Um, At least in terms of the way that Neil Olshay is going to be operating, he's Obviously, he's got Damon CJ still healthy, which is way different and why they're performing a lot better. But the idea that Clay is out and that Steph is out, um, that, that sort of pushed the Warriors' ambitions towards the next couple of years. Uh, sorry, it is, it is, they are no longer title, uh, they're, not, they're not fighting for a title this year. But it's not, it's not that they're triggering a rebuild. It's not that they're planning for the future that way. It's just that this, this is a gap year. It's just that this is a year, this is a consolidation year. So, 
Trailblazers, well, you know, Zach Collins out. Nurkic is out coming into the year. Now Rodney Hood tears his Achilles. I mean, I understand that Rodney Hood and Zach Collins are not necessarily Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, but I think it's the same sort of uh, ideology that you use in this situation. You say, you know, two of our best players are out. We, we've got some, you know, we've got some stuff in the tank. We think we can be competitive, you know, going forward. This year's just kind of sunk for us. Um, so I think the Trailblazers are absolutely going to be active on the market. Uh, what are they going to be doing? I think they are going to be looking first and foremost, first and foremost, to flip the Hassan Whiteside contract. So Portland picked up Hassan this summer. Uh, the Miami Heat were acquiring Jimmy Butler in a sign and trade for Josh Richardson. Uh, Richardson makes about eleven million dollars this year. So going from that eleven mil number uh, to Jimmy Butler's maximum, which is more like thirty mil. Uh, that was going to require the Heat to clear a lot of cap space, so they looked at their they <laughs> looked at their salary sheets, uh, noticed that one uh, Hassan Whiteside was making twenty seven point one million dollars, uh, and not only that, uh, but very clearly he was Im- impeding the uh, development of Bam Adebayo, or at the very least, if not de- impeding his development, impeding his opportunity. Uh, which might even be more important given that Bam's clearly already a really, really good player. Um, um, in, in that deal, Portland sent back Myers Leonard and Mo Harkless. Uh, Mo Harkless was, was then uh, dumped to the Clippers, attached a first round pick and dumped him onto the Clippers. The Clippers have been starting him. So uh, the, the Heat were able to clear cap that way. Now, though, the Portland Trailblazers have Hassan Whiteside making $27.1 million. Um, he is an expiring contract, so that is certainly good. Um, I mean, obviously, it's, it, it's, a, it's a large number, so it's difficult to get up to that to make a trade work. But if you can manage to find a team, a, a, a Cleveland, for example, that knows they're not going to be in the playoffs uh, and has proven to be willing to take on uh, a superfluous salary in return for assets, you could most certainly be looking to uh, flip Hassan Whiteside, given that he's on a one-year deal. If Hassan Whiteside was making $27 million for the next two years, you would not be able to trade him. You would have to attach, like, three first-round picks. Um, and even then, it's just uh, not feasible. Um, just, just to put into context, like, that $27 million, that's how much C.J. McCollum makes. That's $2.8 million less than Damian Lillard makes. Like, he's 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 not just overpaid. He's, like, about as overpaid as you can get for a guy that hasn't been making all-star teams. Um, so I, I, I think the place I want to go is, I, I think for Portland, the, a Hassan Whiteside deal makes a lot of sense. Actually, first, let me justify... Uh, this whole pitch to sort of say what I think is happening. So I think uh, what Portland is going to try to do with Hassan Whiteside's deal, and I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe this was the intent, or at least to an I believe the, they had this idea the whole time. Um, this is a team that has Yusuf Nurkic coming back from injury eventually. They have Zach Collins as well. 
recovering from a shoulder injury, they do not need Hassan Whiteside long-term. Not only that, they cannot keep Hassan Whiteside long-term. It would be a grave mistake to have Hassan Whiteside on the roster next year once those, either of those guys are back, let alone both. Um, but at the same time, Portland is like $42 million over the cap this year. They're, as it stands right now, I think they are, um, if I'm reading the sheets right, and this might be with those, uh, I don't know, it's probably not with the cap holds of Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore. It might be, though. I, I, they're going to be over the cap next year. They're going to be significantly over the cap next year, um, like more than $27 million over the cap. And even, you know, getting to the cap doesn't mean anything. If you're going to go under the cap, yeah, you get the full out Ali or whatever, but um, unless you're going to really generate cap space, which means dumping another, you know, they're not going to create cap space while they have Dame, CJ on max contracts. And then, I mean, they have Yusuf Nurkic, Rodney Hood, Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, Sincere Little. Those guys are locked into place. I know they're not making a ton of money, but they are locked in. You're, it's possible that you could take on a max contract. So, so okay. So I think I'm sort of talking around my point right here. I think my point is, if you're a good, really good team, you probably need three guys making max or near max money. I, I think um, even if that third guy is not really a superstar, like at the very least, you have a guy that is going to be paid $27 million as your third guy. Um, so Portland, yeah. Hassan Whiteside is not their third best player. In fact, Yusuf Nurkic kind of fills into that role. But I, I think... Um, I think what I'm I think what I'm really trying to say is that a really good team is generally going to be over the cap significantly. Um, and if you're going to be over the cap anyways, why would you let this Hassan Whiteside deal expire on your books rather than getting back 27 million in contracts? Yes, you're going over the cap still by that 27 million. You could theoretically get 27 million in space, but if you're not actually creating substantial cap space and you're not looking to reform uh, you know redo your team through free agency well then this is the way to do it you have a, a you can have a revolving door of 27 million in salary i mean this is um this is kind of a a weird way to look at it i think but i i, I think the idea is look you're gonna be paying this much anyways hassan whiteside sure he's 27 million a lot of his dead salary but it's like you know 15 million in dead salary, 17 million in dead salary. Like, Hassan Whiteside is probably worth 10 million a year. And it's only for one year. So you can certainly flip that uh, for, I don't know. I think a name that you would bring up would be Kevin Love. I think that's brought up a ton. The idea, I think, in that trade is not, hey, we really need Kevin Love. He's the third, you know, he's just what's going to make our team great. Well, no, it's. The, the, the problem is, uh, in free agency, there's hundreds of guys you can go talk to, and you can pick between several guys if you're willing to offer them um, a, a ton of money. Unfortunately, in trades, even if you're willing to offer a lot of money, say $27 million, uh, there's still a very limited market out there. So, either you let the $27 million expire, and you 
lose the uh, salary flexibility because there's there's no way you can get um, I mean outside of just so so there's no way to take on a huge contract unless you're trading out salary uh, if you're over the cap and there's no way to uh, and there's no way to sign a huge contract in free agency unless you create that amount of cap space. The only exception I guess would be uh, if you're going to trade for a guy that has a low salary and then extend him, i.e. Uh, what the Pelicans theoretically did for Brandon Ingram. Uh, they, they traded for him on his rookie deal, and they'll probably give him a max extension. Um, I think maybe what, what you're thinking then is that Zach Collins turns into that next $25 million a year player. That's the bet you're making, though. And I think, okay, even if Zach Collins is going to turn into that, You've got him for two more years on his rookie deal. What are you going to do in the meantime? Are you, are you just giving up on next season as well? I, I get giving up on this season. This is a gap year. But what you should do instead is try to build for next year, really maximize that, and then, you know. Uh, so, so I guess what I'm saying is maybe get a guy with two years on his contract that is better than Hassan Whiteside but still makes a ton of money, i.e. Kevin Love. I think he may have uh, two years after this year, so that'd be, that'd be you know, pretty pretty crazy. But um, he's just an example. Uh, I'll dig into a couple other ones I sort of thought up. Um, I think the idea, though, even if, you're, even if you're breaking it down into smaller contracts, too, I just think it makes, I think it makes a lot of sense to keep that... Uh, sort of cap bubble in circulation. Um, I, I think it would be unwise to, you know, just pop the bubble and, okay, yeah, you've got a little more room under the tax, but they've, they're, come on, come on. You can get under the tax um, other ways. I think Kit Bazemore's expiring contract of $19 million, uh, and then Hassan Whiteside, $27 million expiring you don't need to keep all that money in circulation. Get, get, get off of, you know, maybe Kent Bazemore's money or, or only take back uh, $20 million in Hassan Whiteside's deal and only take back $16 million in Kent Bazemore's deal. That, that gets them uh, under the tax, I believe, maybe, maybe a, little bit, a little bit more. But again, the point uh, that I'm trying to make, it's more of a general point. I, I think that when we see... A contract like Hassan Whiteside, twenty-seven million. You're like, yeah, you can't trade that. It's, it's too much. But but even a deal that large as an expiring contract uh, can be a valuable trade chip if you're a team like the Trailblazers that is locked up for the long term and is trying to compete uh, to to the best of their abilities. They are probably not going to be a, a championship favorite anytime soon. But if you play this right then Damian Lillard can absolutely win you a title. If you play this right, and you happen to get one, one miracle season where you happened to bring in the right three role players for Hassan Whiteside's contract, and Anthony Simons scores 20 points a game all of a sudden, and Nasir Little uh, is like borderline all defense, I, I seriously doubt any of that stuff's going to happen, right? But, but, you know, that sort of stuff does happen. It does. It has happened, if you go back and look at the history of the NBA, uh, you, you don't think the Warriors kind of caught people by surprise? 
Um, you think people expected Clay Thompson to become what he is? I mean, Draymond Green is low-hanging fruit, but Clay Thompson was like not considered. He was considered a defensive liability coming to the NBA. His first couple of years, I believe, he was still considered a defensive liability. Um, again, I, I'm getting off topic. Let's talk about a couple of the actual uh, trades I saw for Whiteside. Um, I, I think most likely the way you're going to structure this is you, you would do a straight-up Hassan Whiteside for player X, and the other team throws in either a, a first a first and an asset, or maybe a, a second or two, depending on how uh, how far apart in value Hassan Whiteside and the uh, the other guy are. So, and in fact, you know, if, if they were to trade for a, a really good player, maybe they would be throwing in the first round pick. Um, so the the examples I actually came up with, though, the, the, were kind of paltry. Um, <clears throat> Gordon Hayward was on my list just because you can make that salary work. Unfortunately, though, I think I mentioned this maybe earlier in this podcast. I can't remember. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I picked up recording this later. Um, but I, I, I sort of mentioned that I, I think Gordon Hayward, we, we forget now because he's played well this season, uh, still had a lot of injury. Still had a lot of injuries, though. Um, I, I, I'm still a little concerned about that. But... He has certainly performed a lot better, and he um, he's 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 not like a, he's not a trade piece anymore. He's part of the Celtics core, but there was certainly a period last year, and by period I mean like a series of months where Gordon Hayward was like viewed as this guy might just be dead salary. He might be worth like twelve million. He might he might just be a rotation player. That was, I think that was a legitimate thought, a legitimate concern. Um, I mean, it's not even something I necessarily uh, agreed with or disagreed with. It was just something I was aware of that people thought. I mean, in, in that case, I think the Trailblazers still are probably giving up a first to trade Hassan to the Celtics. But you got to understand, Gordon Hayward's under contract for, I believe... Um, he might have a player option this summer. He's going to pick that up uh, over $30 million. So it might just be this year and then the next. Um, but still, two years at $30 million as opposed to one year at 27 is a huge difference. I mean, it's $30 million in extra salary. So I, I, I think um, that, that probably sounds a little dumb now because it, it is dumb now. Uh, it just is. It's, it, it's not a feasible trade. Um but it, it, I, I think it's worth just throwing it out there because um, if, if this trade could have taken place eight months ago, I think it would have been a lot more realistic. I mean, Hassan Whiteside would be a great fit as a center on the Celtics. Um, I mean, if Ennis Cantor is able to play, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I know Robert Williams has been a huge part of their team, but Hassan Whiteside can play the Ennis Cantor defensive role better than Ennis Cantor can. Uh, whether he can play the other Ennis Cantor parts, who knows? I, I think if you listen to Portland Trailblazers fans, though, they say Hassan Whiteside has been pretty, a uh, pretty, a pretty huge part of their defense. And I think Brad Stevens would be able to scheme around him and put him in a similar role. I, I guess I don't know enough about the the, um, the what sort of 
schemes the uh, Celtics run. I know the Portland does the whole drop coverage thing. That's pretty unique. Uh, I, I don't know if the Celtics, obviously with all those wings, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, I imagine they're not just, just like dropping every time. But um, I don't know. I, I think I think what you could you could probably bet on Brad Stevens to scheme around a guy that um, is able to be a defensive anchor, even if it's a very limited capacity given that he's got so many other athletes around him. Like, yeah, you're going to have to maybe sacrifice a little bit of Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's upside at defense, but I think to pair them around Hassan Whiteside and maximize him will end up being worthwhile in the long term just because the center position is so important on defense. And unless Marcus Smart's going to start swatting shots, I don't think there's a, a solution, uh, unless Mark, uh, unless Robert Williams is a legitimate starting center, uh, 25 minute a game guy into the in deep into the playoffs. I'm just, you know, I'm not gonna believe anyone's a 25 minute per game player deep into the playoffs until I see it. Uh, for for the most part, I believe Luka Doncic is a 25 minute plus player deep in the playoffs. Hot take alert. Um, so I had a couple other names. Uh, I think Gallinari. Uh, I, I think you. I think you can fit that. Uh, I believe that makes makes. Uh, actually, let me run that in the trade machine. Yeah, yeah, that deal works straight up. So you could just uh, send Hassan Whiteside for Gallo. Uh, what you'd probably want to do is you'd probably have to attach a first rounder and maybe even Gary Trent Jr. as well. Uh, that's not a very appealing deal for the Thunder whatsoever. In, in terms of Hassan Whiteside has zero value to them because they already have Steven Adams and Nerlens Noel. Uh, so, like, it, it's not even that they could use him as a backup. They have 48 minutes of good center play. Hassan Whiteside offers no value to them. Um, so he is $27 million in dead salary to the Thunder, which makes this a lot more difficult. Uh, but... Gallinari makes so much sense on the Blazers. Uh, if you, I think you trade for him. As I mentioned, one of the only ways you're going to be able to, uh, you know, keep that large salary amount uh, in, I guess, in the cycle of your team uh, is to keep signing your own players to big deals, um, and then trading them around because you're not going to be able to do it in free agency once you've got the big salary numbers. So I think Gallinari would certainly re-sign with this team. Why, why wouldn't they? Uh, why Or why wouldn't he? This is a competitive team. He fits in very well. Um, <laughs> and let's be honest, Portland's probably going to pay him very generously. Uh, that's historically what they've done. I'm not criticizing it. I think that would be part of the reason you can entice a guy to come there because he knows that he will get rewarded for his services. Uh, and let's not act like he didn't sign Yusuf Nurkic to a four-year, $48 million deal, uh, Neil Olshea. Give him a nod guarantee on the end of two. Like, that's that's pretty shrewd, I would say. Um, I think Gallinari makes a ton of sense for the Trailblazers to the extent they would probably be willing to give up a, a good first-round pick, probably not this year's first, uh, just because there's, there's a good chance they'll still miss the playoffs. 
Although, if they're making a mid-season Gallinari trade, they're probably getting into the 8th seed uh, pretty comfortably. Maybe even the 7, uh, given they, that they are taking away Gallinari from the Thunder. Uh, again, I, I'm... It's too bad. You know, you know what would even be way more likely would be Kent Bazemore straight up for Gallinari. Uh, Kent Bazemore makes $19.3 million. That actually makes a lot more sense if I'm the Thunder. Uh, I'll take on Kent Bazemore. He, he, he's a, a much better fit in my locker room. I can play him at small ball three. I can probably start him at small ball three uh, over Abdel Nader. Yeah, just put Kent Bazemore at the three. Are you kidding me? Uh, so, so now that I think about it, I think Gallinari for Kent Bazemore in a first and then maybe Gary Trent Jr. Uh, if, if Portland or if, if Sam Presti's playing hardball. I think Portland probably really would want to hold on to Gary Trent Jr. The, the fact that they've, uh, I get that, you know, they drafted him, but they've held on to him for a couple of years now. They, the teams these days just don't really hold on to those sort of, like, guys picked in the 40s. At the very least, they're on a two-way or they're in the in the G League or something. If you look at Portland's roster, at least, the young guys, you see a little rookie, uh, Anthony Simons, okay, they drafted him that same year, I believe, uh, Gary Trent Jr., Zach Collins, yeah, they drafted him 10th overall. That's it. That's all their young guys. Um, so they don't really have any other of those just, like, fringe guys. Gary Trent Jr. is their only one in terms of young guys. I, I guess that's the point I wanted to make with him. Uh, I, I, think they, I think they like him. I think they like Gary Trent Jr. more than uh, would be perceived by y y your average NBA fan, given that I don't think your average NBA fan knows who Gary Trent Jr. is. Um, yeah, so I guess I had maybe three more options I thought the Portland uh, would maybe consider. Um, this was one I thought actually trying to put together uh, actual transactions was more interesting. Um, I think LaMarcus Aldridge... I talked about in part one, I don't think the Spurs are looking to make a move. LaMarcus Aldridge would be an interesting trade candidate. He trade LaMarcus for Hassan Whiteside straight up. Um, I I would be... I would be interested to hear other people debate that. Because I just, I don't... I have no idea um, if that helps the trailblazers at all. I don't know if that makes any sense. I mean, I think LaMarcus is going to fit way better into a rotation and into a good locker room, and he's going to enjoy being in a team with a guy. He's going to enjoy being on a team with Damian Lillard. Everyone loves being on Dame's team. Um, I think that would be a much more graceful end his career than what the Spurs season is looking like. Is there any incentive for the Spurs to do this? I'm not sure there is. In fact, it might have to come from LaMarcus uh, at least gently uh, requesting a trade, uh, maybe sort of signaling that he would <laughs> like to leave. Um, I think the Spurs might do him do him that solid if, if, if the team is continuing to struggle. Um... I, I, I do, I do think it's a bit of a long shot, though. I, I certainly would not be putting any money on it. Um, I just, I don't think Lamarcus is really going to get traded. 
And even if he was going to get traded, I don't really see Portland incentivizing um, the Spurs to make that trade. Actually, the more I, I'm reading this, you know, I kind of thought they were going to work hard to flip that Hassan Whiteside deal. Uh, and actually, you know what the other guy was I didn't put down? Uh, Andre Drummond is making close to that number, uh, and he was not extended by the Pistons, which makes me think he is gettable. I think if Portland wanted to, they could try to flip Hassan for Andre Drummond. Again, really weird, though. Like, are you are you really going to do that and try to create, like, a front court trio? I, I don't think so. Um, just one that had sort of popped up because I... I Thought about them with Atlanta uh, in terms of both of those centers. Um, I, I think the the big takeaway I'm having right now, though, is is Kent Bazemore is the one that looks like a real trade chip. Hassan Whiteside is way more difficult to work around than Kent Bazemore, mostly just because Kent Bazemore fits so much better on other teams. Honestly, I think for the Trailblazers, the move might just be uh, keep Whiteside for the rest of the season, that way, you, there's no pressure on Nurkic or Zach Collins to come back. You have that good center to just, I don't know, he plays minutes and he'll hold down the defense and he'll, you know, you know what he's going to do at this point as opposed to just picking up some random guy. You have to learn his, his tendencies, learn how to play around him. Um, I think maybe, yeah, you just keep Whiteside and try to trade Kent Bazemore. Maybe he's the salary that you try to keep in rotation and just let that Hassan deal expire, that might be the course of action here. Just because I, it seems difficult to make a real Hassan Whiteside deal work. I think the only one would be Kevin Love. Um, if they just thought Kevin Love was worth it, and they just wanted to keep that money in rotation, yeah, fine. Make the Kevin Love deal. These other ones, I don't see the other team being incentivized. Uh, in any circumstance that the team could be incentivized, it's probably because the player isn't good enough. Uh, I think Kevin Love is, it, it's more of a circumstance with the Cleveland Cavaliers and then also, again, injury concerns. Um, but he he could certainly be worth it. I don't know for sure, but he might be. Uh, actually, two more proposals I had. I like this one a lot, actually. Um, this is another one, though. Like, how are you going to, these teams, they're never going to accept it. There's no reason to. Uh, Hassan Whiteside and probably like a first round pick. Maybe maybe throw Trent on there. It's just, it's so hard to in, in sort of incentivize any team to take on this sort of trade. Um, but Marcus Morris plus Bobby Portis, both making 15 mil this year. That fits into the Hassan Whiteside deal. Uh, the Knicks would, I mean, <laughs> they'd be clearing cap space again, I guess, but uh, I mean, they would just be picking up the first-round deal. They're taking on an expiring deal. It's just, it's it's not a deal you can really sell to your fans. Um, not, not, I'm not really seeing a Salon Whiteside deal that you sell to your fans because they don't have that asset because they're not going to include Anthony Simons unless they're getting way better. Uh, and they know it's, it's like a, a guarantee that they're getting way better. It's not a, It's not a lottery ticket or a long shot. They're probably not trading Nasir because they just got him. And Gary Trent Jr. is unfortunately just not that valuable on the market. Um, so I think that trade, again, I, I brought it up. It's probably not happening. Um, <laughs> sad as it is to say. Last name I had down 
this one would be for Kent Bazemore straight up. Uh, sorry, Kent Bazemore with a first round pick attached. This has probably got to be uh, a, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just, you know, your lottery protected first round pick next year. Um, maybe it gets more to like a, like a top, top eight protected pick, uh, in a couple of years or something like that. But that would be, uh, trading, trading, uh, Kent Bazemore to the Orlando Magic for Aaron Gordon, making $19.8 million. So those salaries match up, uh, pretty closely. I think Portland would really like to bring in a guy like Aaron Gordon, who, has played a ton of three in his career, even though I think uh, it's generally considered probably to be more of a four. Um, you bring him in, put him beside Dame and CJ, take away uh, what he feels to be his playmaking responsibilities, uh, because on this team, on this Orlando team, he does. He has a lot of playmaking responsibilities. That's just not really his forte. Um, put him around these guys. Put him uh, next to Yusuf Nurkic at center. Uh, you know, try, try, try lots of different combinations uh, between him and Zach Collins and Yusuf Nurkic uh, to see what fits, what meshes. And I'm talking, you know, next year, the next two years, because obviously Aaron Gordon is a long-term investment. He's, he's a young guy. He's 23 or 24, I believe. So you're, um, I think that is, I, I that's a tough trade to see Orlando making yet again, but that's, that's closer to fair value. I think, um, I, I, I just, just because it's Kim Bazemore so much better than Hassan Whiteside in terms of his, his trade value. Cause he fits on every team. Uh, I mean, Orlando could definitely use him. I mean, some, some backup two, some backup three, he, he could certainly fit in. Especially, if, especially when they move Aaron Gordon, they're going to uh, need him at three a lot. Uh, so, again, I'm sort of talking myself out of all these deals. Um, I think Portland is going to be active on the market. Again, though, this is another one where I'm sort of struggling to find which teams are going to accept a deal. Uh, I've got these ten that want to go out and make deals, but who's accepting their deals? Uh, um yeah, yeah. Let's 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 move forward. Uh, I want to go ahead. This is going. This is going. This has been a long podcast already. I want to go ahead and touch on the LA Clippers before uh, I leave you all for today. So the Los Angeles Clippers uh, acquired both. Kawhi, uh, uh, so actually. Acquired Kawhi Leonard as a free agent this summer uh, on a three-year deal, uh, th- a player option on that third year, uh, and also acquired Paul George in a trade in which they gave up, I believe, th- either three or four uh, future first-round picks. Um, maybe it was, I think it may have been, fi- I think it was five total. They may have thrown in, like, Miami's pick. I'd have to go back and look at it. But acquired two all-star forwards, Turn this team into uh, what's looking like a real, real title contender, even though they are not. Um, I, I think they are. What are they? They're they. Um, so they're currently third in the West, but they're twenty three and eleven. Uh, lost to Utah. Uh, a couple. I, I believe that may have been last night. Actually, not. You know, not sure when y'all will be listening to this, but. Um, 
they've they've been a decent playoff. Uh, sorry, they've been a decent regular season team. Look more more poised to have playoff success though. Uh, in a way, they 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 sort of mirror uh, Philadelphia, where we we all sort of we acknowledge that they have lost more games um, than we may have expected, but at the same time, they still look like a very very tough playoff team. Um, they just they they certainly have some kinks to work out, but I <laughs> how about this? I'm not betting against uh, either the Sixers or the Clippers to make the finals. Um, that's for sure. So I, I, this team is pretty unique compared to the teams we've discussed so far. I think so. Obviously, you you look at you know Philly, uh, the first team I talked about, and then the Lakers. Those are two teams very strapped for um, just in terms of the trade assets they had. They didn't really have guys um, on contracts that were tradable. They, they didn't really. So so I, I, I think they were very limited in terms of pieces they could trade uh, in terms of salary filler. But more importantly, um, they had very limited uh, trade assets. The the we saw with the Sixers it was pretty much Zaire Smith. And the Sixers had their uh, first round picks pretty much outside of this 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 year twenty twenty. Uh, they are gonna you know they they would be able to trade a first round pick or two if they really wanted to, but it's not like they have any other young guys other than Zaire Smith that would be able to uh, sort of sell a trade uh, in a similar vein. The Lakers, uh, although they do not have, I, I, so they may have one or two of their picks in the future. They have no flexibility in trading their picks. Uh, that's the way I will phrase it. And as far as young assets, uh, unless you consider Taylor Horton Tucker an asset, which I do not, although I, I certainly do uh, like his potential. I don't think he's um, in in a significant trade. Or, sorry, in a trade for significant rotation players, he is not a he is a trivial asset. Um, I, I I think so. Sorry, sorry, the Lakers mirroring Philly and Zaire Smith have uh, Cal Kuzma as their one young prospect uh, left on the roster that they would be able to trade in a deal. Uh, the Clippers are a little different though. The Clippers have so first of all. The Clippers have Jerome Robinson. Jerome Robinson is, uh, he's 22 years old. He's he's a uh, second-year player um, out of uh, out of Boston College. He's making uh, 3.56 million dollars this year. He was the 13th overall pick by the Clippers uh, in 2018. Uh, pick behind uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Actually, uh, sorry, actually the Clippers traded. Up to eleven to get Shake Gilgis Alexander, but pick, t- pick two picks after him. Uh, unfortunately, they had to move on from Shea in the PG trade. Uh, he's looked he's looked pretty awesome this year. I gotta be honest, uh, Shea is someone I'm definitely going to have to. Uh, I, I have had to re uh, re- re- rethink my views on Shea Gilgis Alexander. I. I was not super high on him as a draft prospect. I didn't watch a ton of him, but uh, I, I didn't really understand why people seemed to think he was a shooter. 
thought his shooting touch looked a little off. Um, and I just, I just didn't realize he was this kind of learner. Um, just the sort of stuff he's been able to put into his game, I wasn't aware he was able to learn at that rapid of a pace. That he was going to be able to... Um, I just didn't think he'd be able to do the sorts of things he's doing already. Um, he, he's clearly developing much quicker than I expected. Uh, and, I mean, at the end of the day, you can talk about specific skills and this and that, but if you can de develop rapidly, that's one of the biggest factors in becoming a star. Because if, if you are able to develop skills, but it takes you, you know, 10 years to become decent... Well, unfortunately, you're probably not going to have enough time to keep developing to become a star. Or, or at the very least, you're not going to be a star for more than like a, a year or so. Uh, I'm getting off topic. Um, so the Clippers, I, 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 I'm, again, this is, this is pretty, this is a very difficult trademark to get a read on. Um, I, I, I feel like I have a good idea of which teams I don't think are going to make trades, who's who's not really looking to uh, mess mess up the chemistry on their team. I just don't really have a good feel on um, on a team like the Clippers. So as far as it's sort of um, not expendable, but su not superfluous not superfluous salary either. And that's sort of the thing with the Clippers. Uh, let me actually start with the young guys, like I was doing. Jerome Robinson, right, three point five six million. Uh, but they've also got Landry Shamit, uh, second year player as well, um, out of Wichita State. He's making one point, almost two million, this year. He is not someone they would want to trade. He's a very valuable part of their team. Um, I, I don't know if if you if you went and gave everyone a number, is he their fifth best player so maybe there's six uh, probably, i probably i take that back he's their sixth best player uh pg Kawhi, pat bev lou will uh trez probably i mean he's, he's probably in that range with mo harkless i mean just in terms of uh playoff upside i think landry shaman's probably higher than him but uh, and again i guess uh Shamit's probably not a player they would want to trade i think when they're going out in trade discussions they are saying yeah Shamit's off limits um, and if a team comes and says, hey, we are going to offer you this fantastic deal in which you have to include Shamit, then they'll say yes, because that's, that's what you do if you're good management. Um, but I don't think they're going to be putting him in trade packages that they are offering, though, at the very least. And I don't think they're going to, I think they're going to put out there that they, they don't want to move him. Um, so they have Jerome Robinson. They also have the two rookies they picked up this year. Uh, Fondu Cavangeli was, I believe, the 27th pick, maybe the 26th pick, uh, out of Florida State. He was a sophomore. He's, I believe, the nephew of uh, Dikembe Mutombo. So he's some good heritage there. He's a six, maybe 6'9", six, 6'10 six, guy. I actually uh, had the privilege of seeing him uh, and his... Uh, Rookie compatriot, uh, who I'll talk about in a second, Terrence Mann, uh, playing for the Clippers Summer League team when I was in Vegas this summer. And he's he's not a big guy. He's definitely 6'9", maybe 6'10". Uh, sorry, he's he's not a tall guy. 
He is pretty thick, though. I, I, I was a little surprised. I thought he was a little weak for how thick he looked. Um, I think maybe he just needs to fill into his frame. I think maybe he needs a couple of years in the weight room. Um, but he is he is a power forward with a center's game at this point in time. He's got like a 7'3 wingspan. He, he, I guess... Um, I, I I I don't want to I don't want to ramble on Kevin Kelly. He's he's a solid prospect. Um, maybe you know worth like the number thirty pick in this upcoming draft. Maybe I, I think he I think he was. Uh, so I didn't think he was a first round pick. I thought he was maybe you know should go in the thirties. But there were there were a lot of teams. Um, you know I remember Sam if, Sam Vicini was like talking about how teams were considering him like a borderline lottery pick you know, I'm like yeah he could go he's probably like a top 20 guy on almost most teams boards so I, I think there was a lot of hype to uh Kevin Gelly and he's he's just not really going to get a chance he's not going to get a chance on this team this year or next year um I, I think Landry Shamet has proven that he can be a an impactful rotation player on this team I don't think Kevin Gelly's done that and I seriously doubt he would do it in the next uh year or so so uh, all that is to say, I think he would be um, someone they would put in trade packages. Um, I guess the other guy would be. I don't think you. You would. I don't think you would include Derek Walton Jr. There. Um, last guy, Terrence Mann. Uh, as I mentioned, he was he was drafted I think forty eighth overall in this previous draft, uh, but was uh, the draft compatriot of Mufandu Kavangeli. Also college teammate of Kevin Gelly. The two played together at Florida State. Uh, Terrence Mann was a senior, so they, they played together two years there. Um, he is much more of a a ready-made product. He's, I think, like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, uh, but a guard to be sure. Um, doesn't have much shooting ability, which is why he went uh, late in the second round, but just a very smart all-around basketball. I think and this is a little bit cheap because they have uh, uh, the same name, the different spellings, I believe. Uh, Terrence Davis was an undrafted rookie out of a uh, out of Ole Miss this year, um, and he is again. He he was one of those guys, a little shorter. Uh, uh, sorry, Terrence Davis is a little shorter, about six four, uh, more of a vertical athlete, more long arms. But they just they're solid athletes. Um, they 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 seem like clear. NBA level athletes they have clear definable skill although they don't have any definable elite NBA skills they have general you know um, dribble pass shoot skill even if again man doesn't have very great he, he, he's not a he's not a statistically great shooter but I think both of them have proven that they can score uh, at the college level, Terrence Davis has clearly shown he can score in, in the NBA, uh, man, to a lesser extent. But I, I think they're just both kind of those Swiss Army knife types that if you take the 15th overall pick, you're kind of like, eh, is he is he going to do anything? Because he's probably, um, I, I think the upside of a guy like that is an impact rotation player. Uh, not Not even like a super six man, not even like a great six man. It's like a... Yeah, he could be a really good seventh man on a, a, a really good team. That's not really what you're hoping to get out of even the 15th pick. I think that's fine if you get that, but 
you know, you're, you're hoping – what you really want out of the 15th pick is Kawhi Leonard. That's really what you want. Or, or you want Paul George. That's, that's what you're gambling on. If you get the seventh, seventh best player on your team, that's fine. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a win, though. Um, if you get it at 48, that's a win. That is a win. Um, I, 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 I'm, uh, I, I, go, I go off on that tangent because I love Terrence Mann. Uh, I love Terrence Davis, too. They're, both, they're just both very clearly NBA-level players. Um, the fact that Terrence Davis has you know, figured it out so quickly, I, I'm actually not that surprised. He always had more of an offensive game. He, was just, he just kind of got offense uh, really well. Uh, for, for a guy that wasn't, like, a great shooter – or, like, I don't think he was a naturally gifted offensive player. I think he just sort of studied it and learned it, and now he sort of just gets the basics. Sorry, not the basics. I feel like that is a more negative connotation. He gets the fundamentals of basketball and how uh, players move into space, which, I mean, uh, in the modern NBA, you're not going to play if you don't understand basketball. You, you just, you're not going to. Um all that is to say I think Terrence Mann could be, again, not a swing piece, but I think he's, and this might be a little blasphemous, I think he might be close to the same level of Jerome Robinson in terms of an asset. Uh, I mean, Terrence Mann's making a million dollars, Jerome Robinson's making 3.56, uh, at least in terms of this Clippers team, which is going to be paying a lot of money to... Uh, their guys, hopefully for a long time, if if they are, uh, if 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 they're if they're lucky, um, I I just I I don't think Jerome Robinson's really proven anything, uh, and certainly he has more upside just in terms of the type of player he is, his his sort of archetypal um, tendencies, but. I don't know. I, I I would be curious to see how much more value Jerome Robinson had in a trade uh, versus Terrence Mann. Uh, uh, I'm spending a little too much time on the young guys, though. I I think, again, and why it's so difficult to dream up trade scenarios with this team uh, and a couple of these other contenders is they don't have any superfluous salary. If you run down the roster, let me just, I'm going to run down the whole roster. Paul George making $33 million, not going to move him. Kawhi Leonard making $32.7 million, probably not going to move him. Pat Bev, $12.3 million, hard to imagine you're upgrading on him. Uh, Mo Harkless, $11 million. he would be the guy you might look to move. But again, he's like their only backup three. Um, he, he, yeah, so... They have Paul George, they have Kawhi Leonard, that's awesome. At least for the regular season, though, th their only other forward outside of Mo Harkless is, like, if you want to consider Jermichael Green and Pat Patterson fours. That's it. Um, so, so, like, it, it, I, I guess my point is if they're, if they're going to trade Mo Harkless, they probably need a forward back. Um, you can't just... Like, you can't just not have a backup three when you're playing Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as your two stars. Those guys need rest. They need whole games off. Kawhi is dealing with a chronic injury that is going to linger with him probably the rest of his, probably the rest of his life, not his career, probably his life. So you're, you, you can't, and again, the Clippers 
know this, which is why I am struggling to find a trade they would possibly want to make. They can't just give up Mo Harkless and, and remove 25 minutes a game of forward play. They don't have anyone to replace it right now. So that's um, that's that's why I that's that's the conundrum with Mo Harkless. Uh, let me move on. Lou Will. Lou Will's making a cool eight million the next two years. Uh, again, you can't move Lou Will though. He's incredibly valuable to your team. He's he's a big part of you know not just the bench at this point. He's just a big part of the the team in in, in total. Like he's much more like last year's Lou Will uh, than I would have suspected. Uh, given that there are two big superstars coming in on top of him, Ivica Subac. $6.48 million a year. Uh, he is making uh, $7 million the year after and $7.5 million the year after that. So, uh, um, uh, and a team option for the same amount uh, on the fourth year. I have, and I think I've speculated about this on the podcast, I'm not sure, but I, I have been uh, um, thinking that the deal... Ivica Zubac got was to some extent a favor the Clippers may have done. I think we can all agree um, he this this was on the higher end of contracts he was going to receive. Um, the the Clippers did not let you pay him this. Kevon Looney got three years, fifteen million. Ivica Zubac got uh, not including his team option, something like three years, twenty million, twenty five million. Uh, not twenty. <laughs> 21 million. I mean, that's that's a significant increase. That's look, Zubac is a good player, but he's probably not ever going to be a starter. And even if he was, it's at the position of least value. He's not a guy that shoots. He's not a guy that does anything incredibly elite. It's hard to imagine he's going to get some big deal at any point in his life. This 20 million or so could be like his big deal. I think you can't you can't underestimate like how important that could be for him. Um, just compared to you know he could be on just another he could be on the qualifying offer right now easily. I, I I'm not sure if they would have his restricted rights. I believe they did. Um, he could be on the qualifying offer. He could be making like a two million dollar minimum deal right now, trying to play himself onto a deal. The Clippers gave him a nice comfy deal though, um, a, a nice cushy deal, and I believe. This is my uh, sort of tinfoil hat conspiracy. I believe they may have sat down with Zubac's agent and said, look, um, we like you. We traded for you. We think you provided a lot for our team. And we are very excited about what we're going to be doing next year. We think we're going to be able to bring in Kawhi Leonard. We think we're going to be contending for a championship. And we want you as part of our team. Here's the thing. We don't really have much in terms of um, sort of superfluous salary we don't have much cap maneuverability going forward and you know we're a very ambitious team we're a team that is always looking to get better we're a team that we're a team that wants to be great and we want to do whatever it takes to be great so what we would do we would offer you a contract at, at a value greater than we think you are worth uh, not not to insult you, but just, again, we think if you are on the free agent market, you would not get a contract offer this big. 
or even one comparable. And in return, um, uh, not in return, we do, we do this because we want to warn you, there is a good chance we will use you as a trade asset. We want to give you that contract, number one, because we think you deserve it, we think you're good, we think you're worth it. And number two, um, we we think that this will will both. I think this works both well for both of us. I think we can get you a deal that can set you comfortably for life. We'll, we'll get you over twenty million dollars uh, for this contract. You'll be on a legitimate deal for the next three, if not four years. Uh, I think there's a lot of merit to the idea that other GMs around the league are going to see that you're on a six seven million dollar deal and they're gonna you know that's a lot different than being a fringe guy um i i think when a gm sees that they see nba player they see value uh in in previously handed out contracts so i think that gives a lot of value to you and again this is you know this is your first payday and we and we don't we think this is uh greater than what you are worth in a vacuum but to us and in our situation, you're worth it because we think we might be able to move your deal um, at the trade deadline and and get some value in return. Uh, if, if that, uh, I guess we just want to preface our offer with that because we, we don't want to, we don't want to catch you off guard. We, we respect you. Uh, we would never sign a guy to a contract and then trade him uh, the... <laughs> the season after he signed that contract, uh, like Blake Griffin, that that would never happen because uh, we're a noble, outstanding, uh, upstanding for the office. <laughs> no, but um, I, I, I again, I, I sort of whatever went the character there, but I, I think there's maybe some merit to the idea that this was a uh, we okay. So here, let me. Uh, I, I probably should delete this whole segment if I'm going to simplify it here at the end, but l let me just do this. I, I, um, you can either give the guy a three-year, $15 million deal like Looney got. You, give him, you offer him two deals, the three-year, $15 million deal straight up, or the three-year, uh, $22 million deal, and say if you take this one, um, we, we may try to use you as a trade asset. If you take this one, the three-year, fifteen million, we will probably we, we we will not. I mean, I think that's a thing. Is you have to just be a, a pretty uh, upstanding front office that's willing to, you know, sort of honor something like that. But you'd have to say, yeah, if we offer you this three-year, maybe make it like three-year, twelve million dollar deal, then we will not trade you. Or or what you might do is say, we'll offer you this three-year, twenty-two million dollar deal, or we can only offer you this one-year, five million dollar deal. And in that case, you know, you would have no real reason to trade him because he's just on a one-year $5 million deal. Um, I, I'm sort of rambling here. The point is I, I, I am curious as to whether there might be an unspoken or actually spoken agreement uh, for the Clippers to trade Zubac if they so choose. Um, you know, I, I think in general you wouldn't just want to, like, spring that on a guy. Um, although, you know... I might be overthinking that because that happens all the time where trades are just sprung on guys. I don't think 
again, I may be overthinking all of this. I, I would think the Clippers would be willing to trade Zubach, though. The problem is they will need, uh, again, and that comes down to, I think, the fundamental question for this team on the trade market. Do you trust Montrez as your go-to center against uh, playoff-level centers? I mean, if you're going against AD, is he the guy that covers AD? If you're going against the Sixers, is he the guy that covers the, uh, Embiid? I, <laughs> maybe not. Probably not. But on the other hand, are you really going to go out on the trade market and find somebody that is going to be able to do that? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, let's 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 go ahead and get into the actual packages that are out there, though. So I think the best one I saw. The first. So the first one um, we we've heard in recent days that, in a shocking twist. Uh, Center Dwayne Dedman would like a trade out of Sacramento, uh, where he has not been playing at all, uh, and has an 8.3 PER on the year. So, yeah, yeah, he probably does not want to be there. I, I believe he's been DNP'd maybe, maybe all of the last 10, 12 games, uh, or maybe maybe 10 out of the last 12, maybe something like that. He is he has not been played uh, at all recently. Um, he made. He, he was paid a $13 million year this offseason. Um, uh, actually, I have those numbers. So it's $13.3 million uh, flat for the next three years, so $40 million total over three years. Um, again, though, Dwayne Dedman was a really good player for the Hawks the last couple of years. He's a guy that was providing legit interior defense while showing um, an actual ability to stretch and shoot threes. He was... He was almost a uh, like a Brook Lopez type, where he could defend at the rim, protect the rim, but also go out and shoot threes. Now, Dedman never had the volume that Lopez has had the last two years, but still, he's a very valuable uh, or a very legitimate threat from outside. Um, I, I I bet you this. I bet you there's a lot of uh, Atlanta and Spurs fans that expect Dedman to be just fine once he leaves the Sacramento team. Um, so that, that was the, that was the first trade that really popped out to me. Um, another one, this is a little more, uh, outlandish, I would say, just because again, I don't think the Clippers are going to trade Mo Harkless without getting a forward back. But if you bundled up Mo Harkless's $11 million salary, uh, Ivica Zubac's 6.4 million and Jerome Robinson's 3.5, you could make a trade for, uh, Oklahoma City center Stephen Adams. I think what's more likely, though, is that they would try to pick up a guy that's on that same team uh, that they are, I would say, somewhat familiar with. They uh, included him as part of the trade for Paul George. Danilo Gallinari makes $22.6 million. Um, actually, oh, man. Are the, are, are, are the Clippers... I think the Clippers might be barred from trading for him again. I think if you trade a guy, you might not be able to trade him for at least six, sorry, reacquire him in a trade for at least six months, if not the year. If it's six months, they could probably still get a trade done before. Ah, uh, uh, oh man, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that might not be, that might not be legal. That might not be a legal trade, unfortunately. 
as as fun as it would be and as great as a fit as uh, Gallo would be on the uh, Clippers team, just in terms of produ- providing that forward depth, I don't believe that is legal. Um, another trade that I think uh, has, and I, I don't think I'm the first one to say this. I don't know if I, I've seen anyone put up this specific iteration, but I think a pretty clear offer that is just a matter of does L.A. make, make this same valuation? Do they consider this worthwhile or do they consider staying put and con- uh you know, staying keeping their asset worth it, I think that would be trading uh, Mo Harkless and either attaching Jerome Robinson, uh, attaching one of those Cal Galli or Terrence Mann, uh, or putting a first-round pick in the deal. Probably, I, I believe they would be there probably this year's first. So, so actually, I don't think I mentioned this, but the Clippers, uh, they so they traded a bunch of picks to the Thunder in to acquire Paul George, but they did something pretty savvy in order to be able to trade some uh, a, a, a first-round pick this year if they so chose. So what they did was they retained their pick for 2020 and for 2021. So the Lakers actually have you know one or two of their picks. They don't have any back-to-back, though. And when you have two picks that are back-to-back, you can avoid violating the Stepien rule by trading one. The Stepien rule states that you must not um, trade any picks in back-to-back drafts, uh, which is why when you put protections on picks multiple years out, it gets really tricky to trade future picks. Um, The Clippers were able to avoid violating the Stepien rule if they were to trade this year's pick by keeping next year's pick as well. So they could trade this year's pick and still have next year's pick. Um, Obviously, these teams are trading, you know, Actually, I, I'm not going to get all that minutia. We're an hour and a half in. Let's 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 cap this out. Um, so that that trade for Marcus Morris of the New York Knicks, um, Mo, Mo Harkless plus uh, either Jerome Robinson, Kevin Gelly, first round pick, uh, send that to the Knicks. In the in return, they get Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris making 15 million a uh, for for the year. Could be a free agent, but um, I, I think you probably bring him in see if he fits with uh, the sort of leadership Kawhi and Paul George. And I think Lou Will is probably a huge figure in that team, too. Uh, see if he fits within them. Oh, Montrez Harrell, too. Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, my God. Pat Bev, actually. I, I was about to say Montrez Harrell seems to have, like, some personality. But I'm talking personality, Pat Bev, oh, my God. Yeah, Marcus Morris is not going to come into this team and overwhelm with, uh, with personality, that's to be sure. The, the last name I want to mention for a uh, check off for this episode uh, is, <laughs> and again, this kind of goes against uh, one of the predictions I made in part one where uh, I gave the Charlotte Hornets a 0% chance of making a, a significant trade, but... Now that I think about it, the LA Clippers are the one team with both the incentive and the assets to make a real Marvin Williams trade. So Marvin Williams is making 15 mil uh, this year. He is expiring at the end of this year. Uh, good player, though. He's, he's a good, solid starter. He's been a good vet, but he's more than that. He's, like a, he's, he's, he's I believe, 32 or 33 Still a really good player, though. Uh, moves well. I was able to see him in person the one Hornets game I went to. Uh, moves well. He plays small ball center at times, which 
He's not necessarily the strongest guy uh, when you just look at him. Like a guy like P.J. Washington looks bigger, thicker than Marvin Williams, but I think Marvin Williams may be uh, may just be a little. It's probably you know he's been in the league longer. He's just more mature, but he's he seems he's he's a strong guy. He's strong, and he can certainly hold up as a small ball cinder in certain lineups. Um, I think if the Clippers were able to put him out there with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in closing lineups, they could operate as the 3-4-5, um, allowing guys either Pat Bev, Lou Will, so, sorry, some combination of Pat Bev, Lou Will, and uh, Landry Shamit to get on the floor. So I think that would be very interesting. Uh, as for what the Clippers give up, well, Mo Harkless making $11 million mostly gets you there. I think you'd probably do Mo Harkless and Jerome Robinson. Uh, I think probably Mo Harkless, Jerome Robinson, and this year's lottery protected first is worth it. Um, I, I I don't really value Jerome Robinson that much. Let me let me run it and see if it works just Mo Harkless straight up. Yeah, so you do need to add uh, some extra salary. You could add so Jerome Robinson. You could add, and probably if you do that, you try to get just. Uh, a second or two attached rather than the first round pick. Uh, you could also do Mo Harkless and Pat Patterson and a first round pick uh, if if you were so inclined. I think they probably honestly would rather just send Jerome Robinson. Uh, I think Pat Patterson is not great, but he's been he's sorry he's not um, able to play a lot of minutes. He's he's limited in his role, but he's been fine in that role, and I think he's a good. Again, I think uh, I think he's a good veteran presence. I think he's just a solid guy to have around. Pretty versatile uh, in terms of the power forward versus center. Um, again, though, if you got to give him up, I think Mark, I think Marvin Williams is a clear upgrade, both in terms of just his, his availability, frankly, from Pat Patterson with his injury, uh, and then I think he's a much more impactful defensive player than Mo Harkless. Uh, I think I think you probably put Marvin Williams on LeBron. Probably try it. Uh, I mean, maybe you can try Marvin Williams on Anthony Davis at times. I think AD is certainly going to beast him a few times, but I think he could he could get the best of AD uh, on occasion. I think if if you have him as part of the maybe part of the you know battalion that's going up against AD, that might be somewhat effective. Uh, that 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 would be the one trade. I could see Charlotte going for would be something where they get, you know, like, a, I think you would have to really incentivize them. And again, this is sort of assuming the Hornets want to make this deal. I'm kind of going back on what I said earlier. I just, I think, first of all, this is the deal that makes perfect sense. Um, and, and I do think the Clippers, if they want to get it done, they can. They can, they can you know, throw Mo Harkless and Jerome Robinson and Terrence Mann if they want to. Or, you know, Mo Harkless and Jerome Robinson and their first-round pick. If they really want to, they can get it done. Um, that's the last guy I, I really wanted to talk about for them. And I think I'm, I'm maybe... Oh, God, am I only four teams through? I might only be four teams through. I am going to, <coughs> uh, one way or another, take this to a part four. Uh, thank you all for sticking with me. Uh, once again, I've had a lot of fun looking into this trade deadline. Uh, I know people have said it's not supposed to be very active, but it is still very 
very interesting to look into. So many little details, so many little puzzles to try to figure out for each team. Um, I've had a lot of fun looking into it. Hopefully y'all are getting something out of these podcasts more than just um, some white noise to fall asleep to. Um, I have certainly gotten a lot of these podcasts. Thank y'all for listening. Um, Be sure to subscribe if you're not already. Stay uh, up to date on the latest episodes. If you enjoyed this episode, maybe leave a review, maybe leave a rating. You know, know, if you feel like it, it's whatever. Um, I appreciate y'all coming listening today, though. It's it's, it's been a blast. It has been a blast. And I've probably been recording too long because I am uh, really rambling now. Uh, All right, I'll let y'all go. Thanks for tuning in. Y'all have a good one. Peace.